0: So many great reasons to rejoice, so many great reasons to be glad in Jesus, so many gr- reasons to celebrate him for all he is and all he has done for us. And I hope as we've been able to sing this morning, you've been able to celebrate in your homes and celebrate this Easter Sunday uh, with us. <clears throat> as part of that, now we want to spend some time in God's word and I'd invite you to just grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. We're, we're carrying on our series on the, book of, on the Gospel of John entitled Take a Look and again, we get a further opportunity to take a look in the, at the reason Jesus came in, why we ought to celebrate that on a day uh, like today. So um, if you t- if you're, hopefully you're finding your way to John chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen below for you as well uh, to be able to track with that. And um, We're going to read verses 16 uh, to, to 18 uh, this morning uh, just to get us started off in John 3. This is what God's Word has to say to us uh, today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let me pray, and then we'll think about these things together. Father, we are so thankful to you for what we've been able to celebrate about Jesus. We thank you that he is risen and how that offers us offers us eternal life and how that offers us eternal security and most of all how that opens up the opportunity for us to spend eternity with you. So Father we pray that you would help us as we turn to your word we would be given cause to marvel again, at Jesus, that we would have cause to have deepened trust in Jesus for those, who have, us, those of us who have trusted him before. And for those who have never trusted him, we pray that today would be the day of placing their faith in Jesus. What a great Easter Sunday that would be. So Father, we pray that you would, uh, you would do the work you desire in each one of our lives, in each one of our homes now, as we look into these things together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you, I wonder if you, And uh, what kind of movies or kind of TV shows you enjoy watching. Uh, this week in desperation, lockdown desperation, maybe you would call it, to try and find something to watch. We stumbled across an old episode of Poirot. I wonder if that's your kind of thing. I wonder if you like a kind of who-done-it murder mystery type thing. Or maybe you, you, you long for the days. Maybe one of the fun things you've done with friends in the past is one of those murder mystery de- meal type things where you gather together and you all play different characters. Uh, the, the thing about the whodunit, whodunit mysteries and whodunit movies and TV shows is that they, 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 they all, they're always causing you to ask questions as you're watching, they're, you're exercising your mind. Who did it? Why did they do it? And you're trying to figure it out. And you've, and if you're anything like me, you've seen enough of those kind of investigative TV shows to understand that you're looking for means and you're looking for motive and you're looking for opportunity. Those are the kind of things you're looking for And in the, in the process, you're also assessing everyone, you're, you're assessing those things. Did they have the means? Did they have the motive? What kind of opportunity did they have? And the danger when you're looking at these things is that you, you miss someone and it's always the least likely person who seems to spring up as a chief suspect or the ultimate perpetrator at the end. Well, well reading John 3 isn't that different. There's a new character who enters the storyline. We, we come across this guy, Nicodemus. Verse 1 tells us there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this new character comes in he, and we're immediately given some credentials of, of his. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was an important leader. We understand that is probably meaning he had a high position in the Jewish ruling council, which was called the Sanhedrin. In short, he was a big player in the Jewish religious setup and, and maybe, as we 've spent some time in john 's Gospel, maybe we start to form some questions around about well, where was he and when was he one of the Jewish leaders, for example, who we found at the start of chapter two when Jesus was clearing the, in chapter two, where Jesus was clearing the temple. A little dig through the history books uh, tells of an influential and wealthy and generous Jewish leader called Nicodemus. We're also told some other practical details about this night in question in, in John chapter 3. The, the, this man came to Jesus by night, verse 2 says, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we're told he, he came by night. And we think, woo, new detail, new detail. What, what, what does that mean? Does it, does, it mean he, does it mean he avoided coming in broad daylight because he wanted to come in the secret? Or was it, did he come in, in in the evening time did he come in in, in, in the night did he come in darkness uh, because out of respect to his fellow rabbi because he didn't want to distract, distract his fellow rabbi from uh, from the teaching ministry that he had uh, we should note with that he also calls jesus uh, a, 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 calls jesus by the name Rabbi in verse two. So the custom would have been for one rabbi, not to, for the rabbi to go about their work undisturbed. And, and so evening would have been a more appropriate time and customary time for him to visit. Maybe, maybe it was that or, or, or maybe as John using as a symbol of the darkness that Nicodemus was living in or the darkness of Nicodemus' thinking and we're maybe going to see some evidence that that might be, that, that might be part of it as well then um, we also have maybe some other questions did he come of his own volition was he did he come out of personal curiosity uh, was he del or was he delegated to come? What was, was this part of a personal faith journey that John traces through here This in John 3 to John 7 where he stands up for Jesus a little bit in front of the Sanhedrin and on to John 19 where he actually helps with Jesus' burial by bringing the embalming the, the spices that would accompany the, Jesus' body into the tomb? The, the fact is we can read lots, of, lots into the silences and use our imaginations to a certain extent. Uh, but there are some things we just aren't told in what we read here and we may say, well, why? Why are we not told those things? Well, I think we, we're not told those, those things so that we don't lose sight of the qu- big question, the central question that John is pursuing here. Remember, we thought about this in the very first week. The reason John has written these things. John himself has said he wrote this gospel so that you might know that, the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the purpose of his writings. so the question is not as who is Nicodemus and why did he come. The question is still and always will be through John's Gospel: Who is Jesus and why did he come? That is, after all, at the heart of why Nicodemus was, has come to Jesus in the first place. With the question, "Who are you really?" That's what underlies this, Rabbi. We know you're a teacher. Now that gives a sneak peek. At what we find here in 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 verse in verse in, in verse. In Two is a sneak peek into the thinking of the Pharisees and how they were starting to process who jesus was it's a of, we 've been talking about you jesus we 've been talking about you, and this is what we this is the conclusion we draw this is what we this is the conclusion that we 've drawn this is what we think we We know so there 's some certainty here in their minds we know you 're a teacher from God, and the reason we know that must be true is it 's what we 'll look, look down into verse two with me that we know you're a teacher from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him it's an amazing certainty with which Nicodemus expresses the thinking and the conclusion of the Pharisees no one can do these things unless God is with him, now, now, now if you're looking for some testimony, we thought a couple of weeks ago about eyewitness statements about Jesus if you're looking for a compelling testimony how, how about the compelling testimony of people who would ultimately become Jesus' enemies the positive testimony of Jesus' enemies is surely compelling to understanding that Jesus was anything but ordinary and anything, just, anything but just a teacher. This is an important conversation we get to listen in on then because, in some, because it reveals something more about who Jesus is. It is eternal, and and it's eternally important for you and it's eternally important for me to grasp who Jesus is and why he came. So so through this conversation, through listening in on this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, we come across two very simple Easter truths, which lead us to two very clear Easter choices. So Easter truth number one is simply this, that Jesus was lifted up to give me life. Jesus was lifted up to give me life. Nicodemus and the Pharisees still fall short of their understanding of of who Jesus is. What we already know about him from, particularly when we think about what we already know about him from what we've seen in the Gospel of John already, Nicodemus calls him a teacher. And for any of you who have tried to do homeschool teaching over the last few weeks, you will understand that just because you think you can teach doesn't mean you you can actually teach. And, 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 and for those of you who, who have been like me, our kids, have, our sec, secondary school kids have asked me maths questions. And frankly, I'm breaking out in a cold sweat. And I'm, I'm, I feel like my old sense of overwhelming panic coming upon me whenever somebody asks me a Pythagoras question. It's, it's scary how much I don't know, uh, even though I thought, yeah, it's going to be OK. I can teach this for sure. And I know there's some of you teachers who are laughing there just now and thinking this is hilarious. Some of you teachers who are at home and think, but but it's been sobering for you to realise that it's far easier to teach other people's kids than it is to teach your own kids. Uh, so, so what, what? What we see here is what we see here happening is th- th- we're going to see a discrepancy between somebody who thinks they're a teacher and, and and Jesus, who is the true and ultimate and eternal teacher. We're going to we're going to see the discrepancy that happens here. So, as bad as we feel about these things, Nicodemus is going to feel worse in a few minutes. Okay, I guarantee it. So they say that. So Nicodemus comes and says, okay, the Pharisees have been talking. We've agreed in this. This is what we've agreed on. We've agreed that you are a teacher. That's what we've, That's the conclusion. Are we right? Are we right? A teacher. Well, Jesus is about to take Nicodemus to school. There's still a sense that Nicodemus is trying to figure out what kind of teacher and what Jesus is going to teach. That, in some ways, so the Pharisees have concluded he's a teacher. So what is the doctrine that he's going to drive? What is the the, the main content of his teaching going to be what lies at the heart of Jesus teaching so Jesus answers him Jesus answers in verse 3 truly truly I say to you unless, he is born, unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God truly truly is the way that Jesus introduced important things that he was communicating the repetition of truly is to say this is super important you need to grasp this so truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God So he's communicating something that's eternally true and eternally important, but he's also communicating with Nicodemus to say, listen, Nicodemus, if you think I'm a teacher, listen to what I teach. Hear my message. This is what my message is about. It's about the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, this is very true, a truth. Everyone needs to grasp it. It's really really true. It's true for you, Nicodemus. and, And if it was true for Nicodemus, friends, it was true for you and it's true for me if you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. That's what he would say to you and I. Now, now Nicodemus is on this mission to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is telling him that to be able to grasp that truly, to get a clear view of it, something needs to change in Nicodemus. And it's no small thing. It's something fundamental about his being and his identity. That's what he is talking about when it means to be born again. And that would be true for you as well. If you really want to understand who Jesus is, if you really want to grasp, the, grasp that something needs to change in you, and it's no small thing, it's something fundamental about your identity and your being. You know, for, for Nicodemus, this was going to be hard to hear. This, he, he was one of our, the, religious, the key religious leaders in the, all of Israel. And Jesus is saying to him, it's not religion that is needed, but rebirth. Nicodemus my friend you need a fresh start a new life and a new way of living and he would say he would, if, if he was here just I would peer down this camera and he would say exactly the same to you he would say your name and he would say what you really need is not religion you need rebirth, you need a fresh start a new life and a new way of living you see, the, the, the term born again in the original languages is ambiguous and can mean a few things. And maybe that explains in some ways Nicodemus struggle to grasp this. But realistically, they all come back to one essential thing, which is we need change. Born again can mean from top to bottom. So it describes something of the entirety of the change that is needed. Um, born again can mean from from be- from the beginning. So it's a, the idea of almost we would maybe talk about it in terms of a master reset, or a fresh start, or a new beginning. Or 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 it can also mean, and you maybe note this in your footnote of your Bibles if you have that handy, from above born. You need to be born again or born from above. And in in some ways that's a really helpful thing because it reminds us that the the, the resetting of our origins and identity need to be eternal and they they need to find their source in heaven. They need to be centered on Jesus. Either way, whichever, whichever interpretation of that you prefer, whichever one you land on, all of those things point to an overhaul that is needed in each one of us. Now this is going to be mind-blowing for someone like Nicodemus who, is used teaching the rule, who, who's, who was used to teaching the rules, who was living morally and even generous, generously as we saw earlier on. He'd been successful and was esteemed for his ability to do all of those things. So it was going to be mind-blowing for him but there's something mind-blowing about this for us as well because we have this sin-tainted sense of right and wrong. We believe we're in better shape than we are spiritually. And, and so Nicodemus being just like us is now scrabbling to grasp what Jesus is saying. How can a man be born when he is old? Does he enter into his mother's womb again and, and, and be born again and, and be and be born? Is that is that what you're talking about? What he, what he's he, he's trying to convey to Jesus, you can hear Nicodemus trying to communicate how ridiculous that sounds. Is, is, is a man going to climb back into his mom and then come back out again? Is that what you're talking about? You know, all the women in the audience say, no, no. Jesus isn't talking about physical birth, though. And this is the thing that Nicodemus can't see. Nicodemus can't see past the physical and the practical, for Jesus is addressing him on a spiritual and a heart level. He's talking about spiritual rebirth. He's talking about what it means to be what some would call a born-again Christian. What what, he's talking about a change that happens, not on a practical or a behavioral level, but on a heart and a soul level. Nicodemus' issue is that he's only thinking in physical terms, and Jesus is challenging him on that. And, And your tendency is, and my tendency is often, to only think in physical terms, what we need to do, what we need to achieve, how we need to behave, and Jesus is challenging that. He's, he's saying there's something more essential about all of this. There's something about more spirit, there's something that needs to happen on a soul level. There needs to be something of heart transformation that needs to happen within us rather than just behavior modification. We see in chapter two and thought on Good Friday about how Jesus knows what is in the hearts of people. And he's demonstrating that with Nicodemus. It's like he has X-ray vision goggles that so he's looking at Nicodemus' heart and looking at Nicodemus' soul, and he's diagnosing. What Nicodemus needs to hear, and the question is, will Nicodemus have ears to hear? The question for you and I is, do we have ears to hear about this heart transformation and this soul altering desire that Jesus has, design that Jesus has for our lives? The big question for Nicodemus is whether he can get one foot out of the world and can see beyond the religion and the ritual and the self righteousness that his life was was set upon, that he is entrenched in. And can you see beyond those things, the religion, the ritual and the self-righteousness to the relationship that Jesus is inviting him to? And the question would be the same for you. Can you see past the religion and the ritual or the self-righteousness, that sin-tainted sense of right and wrong, believing you're in better spiritual shape than you actually are? Can you see past those things? Can you get out of the, your place of being entrenched in those things to to pursue the relationship that Jesus invites you to? The message is clear to all of us who think that morality and religion can get us anywhere. If that was the true, if, that was, if, that was true if, if it was true that mor- morality and religion could get us anywhere, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus would have gone very differently. It would have been much more of a pat in the back rather than a pointing out lack nature. So Nicodemus' choice is the same as yours and it's the same as mine. The first Easter truth presents our first Easter choice. I can see my life through the lens of the world. Or I can see my life through the lens of Jesus' worth. I can see my life through the lens of the world. It's fascinating to me that John lands here on a very New Testament picture of the Easter or Gospel choice that Jesus presents us with. He's gone through all the material about, about, um, about being born again. And and Jesus answers him. And Nicodemus asked him that question. Is is that man meant to go back into his mind and back out again? Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly. Again, he's driving home this. This is true. You need to listen. This is true. You need to pay attention. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So John, John lands in this very New Testament picture of the gospel. Spirit versus flesh, the things of God versus the things of man, and and later on we're going to see him pick up on another key metaphor of the gospel, light versus darkness, all of which drive us to see that there is a choice to be made between the things that we would pursue in in our own heart, in our own flesh, and the things that we pursue because we're pursuing the things that God desires for us functionally, this challenges us to see that there is a choice to be made. You can live for the world or you can live for Jesus. You can live for the world or you can live for Jesus. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot live for both at the same time. And so Jesus here is shining a bit more light on what it means to be born again. He's he's directing Nicodemus' heart. He's directing Nicodemus' thoughts to try and lift his head beyond the immediate and the practical and the functional. Again, truly, truly, Jesus' way out. This is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, listen up. It's Jesus saying to you, listen up. Entering the kingdom of God is at stake here. If you want to part in God, if you want to live under his protective rule, if you want to benefit fully from his, from his sovereign promises, that won't happen to you unless something happens in you. That won't happen to you unless something happens in you. It's a heart transformation, soul alteration. That's what needs to happen. You need to be born of water and spirit. So verse 5 has receiving the Holy Spirit and being made spiritually clean as intrinsic to entering the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is engaging with Nicodemus about here. And we, we can't, and, and this should have be, been familiar language and familiar a familiar way of thinking for a, a religious teacher like Nicodemus who would have known the Old Testament back to front. We catch a glimpse of this in the Old Testament, just in a bunch of different places, but just one by example is going to be in the screen below here, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. This is what God promises to do on the day of the Lord when, through, through the one who he would send, the Messiah. So this is what he promises to do through Jesus. I will sprinkle, clean, and this is his promise to you, if you would trust Jesus. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, a new, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. That's what Jesus offers to fulfill in your life. That's what we celebrate at Easter: Jesus' willingness and power to clean you from everything that makes you unclean to wash you free from all the idols that harm your soul, to give you a new heart and a new spirit, to to substitute your heart that is hard towards God with a soft heart that trusts God. That's what he offers to do. And there's new life and new hope in these things for us if we would just grasp hold of them. So Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a difference, so therefore there's again a choice. You can you can be about one thing or the other. You can be about the flesh or you can be about the spirit. You can be about the sin. You can be about sin or you can be about righteousness. You can be about God's way or you can be about your way. Your life will either be defined by the physical or the spiritual. It won't and can't be defined by both. So Jesus says, Do not marvel. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, so why, why would you be astonished or amazed or wondered that I said you must be born again? The wind blows where it wishes. There, there is a mystery and an unpredictability about the wind. So too is the spirit, that wouldn't be news to someone brought up on teaching, teaching that used the wind as a picture of God's mysterious working. Nicodemus would have been very familiar with that analogy, that picture being painted. You can't predict the wind, but you can point to its impact. So as with everyone who's born of the spirit, you can see its impact. You can see when somebody's born of the spirit, when they're born of the spirit, when they're cleansed by Jesus, and have the spirit dwell within them, you can see how it is changing them. The impact of the change is located in the choice. I can see my life through the lens of the world or I can see my life through the lens of Jesus' worth, his worth. Jesus Jesus is underlining two realities in this conversation. The spiritual reality that shows how we experience the kingdom of God and the practical reality that shows we need more than a teacher. You need more than a teacher. If you've been a teacher for the last month, you know that already, right? How can this be? Jesus answered, how can it be that you, the teacher of Israel, can't grasp this? How can this be? Nicodemus is asking the question, I I don't get it. And Jesus said, I tell you what I don't get. I don't get how you're a teacher of Israel and you're not getting these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Jesus is saying that in the, same way, in the same way that Nicodemus is showing that he doesn't understand, Jesus is showing a depth of understanding that Nicodemus can't fathom. Jesus says to him, I've told you earthly things. I've, told, I've spoken to you in earthly things. I've given you some earthly pictures, some present day, everyday illustrations of what this means. I've broken it down. I've simplified for it for you. I've put it into language and, picture, language and pictures. You might be able to get your head around and if you can't get it that way, the only other way to describe it is in heavenly terms. And if, you, and if you can't figure out things in your own language, then heavenly things are going to be beyond you. Ultimately, what this is underlining for us is that there is something so staggering about these things that they can only be received by faith and faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we can see these things is by abandoning our understanding and our desire to be in control of what is going on in our lives and to surrender those things to Jesus. Jesus circles back to Nicodemus' question, which was effectively, "Who are you?" In all of this, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, in all of this, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is the revealer. He is the revealer of eternal things. He, Jesus, is the unveiler of heaven's realities, and that Jesus Himself is the centerpiece of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus presented Jesus as a teacher. Jesus has just identified Nicodemus as a teacher in order to show that he himself is way more than what Nicodemus has. He is way more than a teacher. He said to Nicodemus, "Nicodemus, the world doesn't need a teacher. The world needs a savior." Nicodemus, "You don't need a teacher. You need a savior." A teacher trains us to help ourselves. A saviour takes on himself the things with which we could never help ourselves. That's why Jesus died on a cross in your place for your sin on a cross. Because you could never help yourself with those things. You were utterly unable. I was utterly unable to help me with those things. It's not a teacher I need. And it's not a teacher you need. It's a saviour that I need. And it's a saviour that you need. Jesus' identity is still key amongst all of this, and it's important we keep on driving home and understanding what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that he has the authority to speak on heavenly things because he has come from heaven. And any concept that Nicodemus has of being a teacher of the kingdom of God is immediately and and demonstrably less than the authority that Jesus actually brings. He is the one who has ascended to heaven. He is the one who has ascended to heaven. He is the one who has descended to earth. He is the one who forms a link between heaven and earth. More, he says, look right at the end of this little section before we move on to verse 16. Verse 14, and, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The the son of man, which by the way is another Old Testament title for the Messiah, the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Lifted up on a cross to deal with our sin sickness. It's not a teacher that you need, it's not a teacher that we need, but someone to take the punishment and triumph over the sin that turns our hearts against God. And that's where we come across Easter truth number two. Jesus was consumed so that I need not be condemned. Jesus was consumed so I need not be condemned. Then we come to these famous verses, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I don't know if you've seen any sports events and there's always, whenever you go to one of the big sports events like the World Cup or uh, one of the Olympics, there's a, always a guy who pops up with John 3.16 or the, the, these words written up here. They're so important and significant and really they are the gospel in a nutshell describing the lens to which Jesus went to for us. It's an amazing thing. They are really Easter in a nutshell as we celebrate that this weekend. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you want to know who I am, Nicodemus, you want to know who I am. I'm the son of man, ready to, ready to be lifted high in the cross. God's only son sent to invite our belief in him in order to offer eternal life to us. That's what he is. God's son, God's only son sent to invite your belief in him in order to offer eternal life to someone like you. So the, the, the second Easter truth creates a second Easter choice. I can love the dark that surrounds me, or I can love the one who died for me. I can love the dark that surrounds me, or I can love the one who died for me. We're going to come back to verses 16 to 18 in a little while, but we need some contra, context to that. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did God so love the world that he felt the need to send Jesus into the world to save the world? Well, verse nineteen tells us, "This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light, rather than the light, because their works were evil." That's God's assessment of His creation, of the people He created, and what will inform and it's what will and it's what will inform His judgment of you, me, and everyone else. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is telling us that, this, that, this, that, this, that our eternity stands, our eternity is staked upon what we make of Jesus, what we make of the light, and whether we run to him as a light or whether we continue to retreat back into and hold on to our darkness. Jesus is, is identifying the struggle that you and I both have with the sin in our lives. We, we love it and we hold on to it and we run from anything that may expose us by exposing it. Or by we we run from anything that may expose us by exposing our sin. The point is we do all of these wicked things. The light has come into the darkness. Jesus is the light in this picture and he stepped into the darkness, which is the world in its entirety. That's what, the, that's what John 3 is telling us. The world is dark. The, Jesus has stepped out and God so loved the the world, even in its darkness, that he sent his only son into it for us. The light has come into the darkness. God loved the world and without Jesus, the whole world is destined to perish. That's what this is telling us. It's stark News for us to understand. Jesus is is telling us that God's assessment of you and God's assessment of me is this. I am darkness and you are darkness. We are defined. I am defined by evil and wickedness. As long as my life is defined without Jesus. But when my life is defined with Jesus, then I become defined by light. I'm welcomed and received into the family of God. Maybe you would argue and say, "Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a fair assessment of my life." Remember what we said earlier on: we have a sin-tainted understanding of right and wrong. We we think we're in better spiritual shape than we than we actually are. Our darkness shows up every time I choose. My darkness shows up every time I choose myself over others. My darkness shows up every time I choose something above or instead of God, my Creator. My darkness shows up every time I choose to press deeper, press deeper into sin when my conscience is calling me to drop the wrong thing I'm doing and run as far and as fast away from it as possible. We are darkness, which is why we needed someone different to come. That's why we needed the light to come. That's why you need Jesus to come into your life. We need someone to come who does, look what it says, who does what is true, verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We need someone to come who does what is true, who does what is true for us, whose deeds are clearly seen as being carried out in God. We need God the Son to come and walk on earth to carry those things so that his righteousness, his goodness would be transferred into our spiritual account even the Pharisees' testimony from earlier identified that Jesus fit the description it's not, and it's not just why Jesus came, it's why we desperately need him to come it's why I desperately need him to come It's why we also urgently and eternally need to get on the correct side of the choice whereby either I love the dark dark that surrounds me or I love the one who died for me. We need to get on the right side of that choice. Do you love the darkness or do you love the one who died for you? So we're back into verses 16 to 18. And these are great verses to land on on Easter Sunday. There is eternity here. There is forgiveness here. There is mercy here. There is grace for you here. And all because of the love that God is showing for you here in Jesus. God the Son coming to die for your darkness. For God so loved the world. For God so loved someone like you and someone like me. That's the starting point. The love of God is the launch pad for light coming into our darkness in order to lift us out of our deadness. And it's no small love. Note this. For God so loved the world. It's not just, oh God kind of loved the world. God so loved you. God so loved the world. We're so loved that God gave his only son. And Easter gives us a fresh understanding to what it means that God gave. He gave him to die. He gave him to die in your place for your sin. He gave him to die in your place for your sin all so that you need not perish. Which is what we deserve for the darkness and what we are destined for according to God's judgment of verse 19 if we stand before him without Jesus pleading our case. But because Jesus is willing to plead your case, because his blood shed on the cross paid the price for your sin, because of those things, we can have eternal life. We need not perish, but we can have eternal life. You can have eternal life. That's what his resurrection opens up to us. Into my darkness, through his death on a tree, out of my deadness, Jesus rose to set me free. So we deserve to be condemned. But he did not come to condemn. Look what it says. He did not come to condemn. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. We deserve to be condemned. But he did not come to condemn. We were already condemned is the thing. We were already condemned in our darkness and our sin. With our evil and wickedness of choosing our own way. With our sin tainted understanding of right and wrong, persevering in the illusion that we're in better spiritual shape than we actually are, we were already condemned, but Jesus came not to condemn. we were already condemned, He came in order to to to, to in order that we might escape the condemnation or in order that he might rescue us and save us from that in order that the world might be saved through him. so the way out of condemnation, the way to escape the right and just judgment of a holy and righteous God is to believe in Jesus Christ, to place your hope and trust in him and what he did for you on the cross and in his resurrecting power which offers you the defeat of sin, death and hell and offers you eternal life. There's great peace, there's great joy, there's great hope in those things. That's what's at stake for Nicodemus That's what is at stake right here and right now for you and for me. If we don't believe in the only Son of God, we are condemned. That's the bad news that our darkness brings about. But but whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. He came so that there may be a there would be a means of rescue. He came so that you might be saved. Isn't that amazing? If we don't get what we deserve, Good Friday tells us that Jesus took that on the cross, that is the mercy of God. And even better, we get way more than we deserve. Eternal life is part of God's blood, but spirit changed. Heart transformed, soul altered family. He was consumed so that I need not be condemned. So will I choose, will you choose to love the darkness that surrounds you or love the one who died for you? Will you what, what choice will you make? It's not a teacher that you need, it's a transformation. It's not morality you need it is mercy. It's not good deeds that will save you, but God's son. That's your Easter choice. Easter echoes what John 3 tells us. When you trust in Jesus, two things. You are so loved. Will you live for him? You are so saved. Will you surrender to him? Let me pray. Father, we pray that these truths would ring in our hearts this Easter Sunday as we celebrate what Jesus has made the way, what Jesus has opened up for us, what Jesus invites us to. Thank you that he is the one who makes eternal life possible. Thank you that he is the one who removes our condemnation. Thank you that he is the one who brings us from a place of needing forgiveness to being brought into your family. Father, we thank you that in him we understand that if we trust in him we are so loved and we are so saved. So help us, we pray, to... put put our hope and our trust and find our joy and our peace in him uh, this Easter Sunday. He is risen and we are rescued. Amen.